0: All right, good morning! (laughs) Happy Monday! Oh my, oh my word! Good morning, everyone! I am, oh my gosh, I'm so excited just to be here with you all this morning. My name is Jake Thurston, and uh, just for... (laughs) Thank you, guys. Uh, Just for us to get a little acquainted with each other this morning, I think that would be really good for those of you who might not know me. I studied as a Christian Ministries major here, just really not that long ago, from 2012 through 2016, where I then went out to South Dakota to pastor at a church in Sioux Falls out there. A couple of South Dakotans here, there's a couple. Uh, And it was also in South Dakota where I met my gorgeous wife, Miss Casey Jean Thurston, which just goes to show, I am a living testament that you can indeed find a spouse after college. Amen, amen. You can shut that down, you can shut that anxiety down. Anyway, I pastored out there for about three and a half years or so uh, before getting this amazing opportunity to come back here to my alma mater. Uh, Casey works in the nursing department and now I work with the theology and ministry department here and it is unreal. It's unreal to be back at a place that I love so much and just to think all the things that God has done in my life and just, man, I'm just so, just so, hashtag blessed. You know? Yeah, I just said that. I'm hashtag blessed. Okay, show of hands, who else is hashtag blessed here today? All right, got a couple hands, got a couple hands. Or how about this? How many of you have actually used hashtag blessed in a real life conversation, or at least one of your social media points, posts at some point in your life, okay? Like, probably about every single one of us. And if you haven't, you might at least be aware of this internet sensation that's been sweeping the internet for the last three or four years, okay? Hashtag blessed is this way for us to recognize all the good things we got going for our life and to showcase it for the entire world to see, right? And most of the time, these hashtag blessed posts are really sentimental. They're mushy-gushy. They're about your friends. They're about your family over the holidays and all this other stuff. But other times, the things that people are hashtag blessed with are honestly kind of ridiculous. So I would love for us to begin with a uh, couple of examples here for us to share uh, in these people's blessedness this morning, okay? Let's begin with this Instagram post from this one girl who said this. This isn't really post-worthy content, I'm aware, so supplementing it with a cute pic at the yacht club last night, party emoji. (laughs) This made me so happy, individually wrapped Butter, guys! Is there anything better than crusty French bread and butter? Especially when the butter looks like a present and is V salty? The beer was great also. Crying, laughing face. Hashtag blast. Okay? Or how about some of these tweets? Carrie tweeted, today is my last day ever as a pizza delivery girl. So happy to say I made it through without ever being kidnapped. Hashtag blast. Or how about Robin? She tweeted this one time. Burn 650 calories, give blood. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. I agree with this next one. At Alexia Docks tweeted, there's nothing more magical than being the first one to use a porta potty. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. And lastly, from Tom Haverford himself, he tweeted, four green lights in a row. Hashtag blessed give it up for him right? <laughs> Ridiculous! Ridiculous! There are 118 million hashtag blessed posts on Instagram alone and again the majority of them are over like really good sentimental things like friends and family and all that other stuff other other times there uh, of these really interesting things whether it's new cars whether it's your food or individually wrapped butter it's all over the place okay but here's the deal It's one thing to recognize how good you've got it and to be thankful, but it's a whole other thing to showcase your good things to the rest of the world to see. And I think this reveals a construed reality of the human heart a little bit, because more often than not, hashtag blessed really means hashtag bragging, doesn't it? I don't know if you guys noticed, we live in a culture where we kind of love being big deals, right? Our individualistic, consumeristic society produces this, this incredibly competitive nature. Even to the subconscious level, even through our social media feeds, we're constantly feeling like we have to outpace the people around us. And we celebrate those who work hard and can achieve more in the long run, right? Like, uh, if you work harder, you're going to get the, the promotion when you outpace your, your coworkers. Or if you work hard to get the better GPA, you're gonna get the higher scholarship. Or if you have a big major life update, those are the posts that are gonna get you the most social media likes, right? Or even, how about this? If if you don't think you love being a big deal, just think about the last time you asked your peer or your friend what they got on their latest assignment. (laughs) It's not because you really care how they did, it's because really you wanna know that you did a little bit better than them, right? I'm guilty of this, I know this for a fact, I have done it, you know? We love being big deals, where even through the things that we, the, the good things that we have and the opportunities to showcase it to the world, we're, we're constantly analyzing how can I at least post this to make it look like I'm one step ahead, or how can I you know, make sure that I just at least am showcasing the highlight reel of my life so people can at least think that my life is all together. And even when we see those other posts, we look at other people and how good they've got it, and then we just think we're falling behind, and that we've got nothing good going for us. We yearn to be blessed, and we yearn for other people to know about it. But could you ever imagine making a social media post with this caption? My life is falling apart, and I am so discouraged. Hashtag blessed. Sounds absurd, right? But what if I tell you that that is the very kind of post that would trend in the kingdom of God as hashtag blessed, okay? So we're going to be diving into a whole new Bible Monday series where we're going to be looking through the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. School of Theology and Ministry Profs are going to be here every Monday to dissect uh, and look at the Sermon on the Mount all the way through. So be sure, save in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. We're starting in verses 1 through 12, 14. We'll kind of see where we end up today. And here's a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. This takes place and follows just after Jesus is tempted in the desert, and he goes up to the Galilean region where he begins his preaching and healing ministry. This is also when he's racking up his first disciples, and he's calling all these people to to, uh, follow him in their discipleship journey, and it is through this that he begins to heal every sickness and disease imaginable, as Matthew chapter 4 tells us. So he has people from all over the place who are tracking him, okay? People from Syria, from the Jordan, from Galilee, from Judea, from the rest of the Judean region in Jerusalem. Jesus is a pretty big deal at this point. So he has this massive crowd before him that is suffering in every way possible. They're marginalized. They're broken. They're sick. They're essentially society's scumbags in a lot of ways. And so, when Jesus looks at this crowd, we see um, this little introduction here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 through 2. This is super huge. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And I think before we can really know what it is that Jesus is going to say here in this passage, before we even understand what he's gonna talk about through the entire breadth of the Sermon on the Mount, we have to identify with the crowd who he originally had in mind here. These people who are marginalized, broken, sick, where their entire life has nothing good going for it, where it literally would be the complete opposite of anything we'd categorize as blessed today. Okay? They were incredibly unblessed. And for us to identify with what this crowd truly was going through, we also have to recognize that every single one of us in this room is also incredibly unblessed. In some way, some shape or some form So what I just wanna really, what I really wanna ask for us to do for a second, okay, is just for us to pause, quiet ourselves down here. And I want you just to think about, how would you answer this question? how do you feel unblessed? How do you feel unblessed? Maybe it's a dysfunctional family. Maybe it's a chronic illness. Maybe it's Marginalization, you don't feel like you're understood or even like you belong with those around you. Maybe it's stress, maybe it's constant competition, maybe it's a broken relationship, an addiction. How do you feel unblessed? (laughs) Once you have the answer to that question, I invite us to hear what Jesus' opening words to this sermon are, as if he's preaching it to this original crowd for the very first time. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn Oh, this passage is insane, okay? Gosh, we could just spend all of our time on this alone. But what we have to understand here, these little statements, these little pithy, tweetable statements, if you will, are called beatitudes. Beatitudes. They're simply statements that mean supremely blessed or supremely happy. But yet he's telling this to a crowd who is incredibly unblessed in every way imaginable, okay? So he's almost saying, like, blessed is your unblessedness. What in the world does that even mean, right? Like why, why would Jesus open up with such a dramatic way uh, to introduce his first sermon, or his longest sermon that he preaches? Well, I think it's important for us to kind of look behind the curtain, remember that Matthew is originally preaching to a primarily Jewish audience, okay? Because they were primarily Jewish, they would be very familiar with Israel's story. And as soon as they heard that Jesus went up on a mountainside, their ears would have perked up, okay? They would have really tuned in here. Because throughout the story of Israel, there are tons and tons and tons of these mountaintop experiences. They're throughout the entire Old Testament, with uh, probably the primary example is when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the law, right? Which is what we spent the entire last semester in Bible Mondays going through, is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus In Matthew's Gospel, one of his key themes of Jesus is to present him as this new Moses. So in this way, Jesus as the new Moses going up to preach the Sermon on the Mount, in a lot of ways parallels Moses going up to give the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, okay? But there's a key difference here. And I need every single one of us to make sure we catch this, okay? Moses goes up his mountain to receive commands for God's people to do. But Jesus goes up his mountain to proclaim who God's people can become. There is a key difference here. Jesus doesn't begin with commands or demands. He begins with blessings and grace. And these statements would have been like laser-guided bombs to their culture in that day. They're, They're like atomic bombs for us today, right? Because we always understood that blessedness is how good you've got it. Even the Pharisees would look down on these people who were marginalized because they assumed because they're unblessed, because their life is falling apart, they did something to deserve it, so we belong to the kingdom of God. It's the equivalent of saying you belong to the kingdom of God if you're achieving the American dream. Okay? But that's, that's not what Jesus does here. In fact, what he takes is our version of what hashtag means and flips it on its head so he can actually make his kingdom right side up. So why does Jesus do this? What, what is he trying to get at, okay? If you get nothing out of this morning, this also isn't like, you know, don't tune out after this, but if you get nothing else after this morning, it's this, okay? The Beatitudes tell us that blessedness isn't how good you've got it, but how good you're becoming, Okay? Blessedness isn't how good you've got it, it's how good you're becoming. I'm gonna say it again. Blessedness isn't how good you've got it, but how good you're becoming. How good you're becoming. This is why Jesus can look at our life and when when we're poor in spirit, when we're mourning, when we have our entire life falling apart, when we are meek and everyone's trampling over us, when we are pursuing righteousness and we're not even getting closer, to becoming more Christ-like, Jesus can still call us blessed because it's not about how good we've got it, but how good we're becoming. Becoming holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. And ironically, it's often our most unblessed moments that God uses to make us the most good. How many of you love bananas? Yeah, they're my banana people! I love bananas. Man, you can put bananas in your yogurt. You can put it in your oatmeal. I did that this morning. You can put it in your smoothies. I love bananas. I'm bananas for bananas, okay? Like just potassium bombs are just so good, so good. But here's the problem with bananas. If you don't use them, they very quickly turn into like the most detestable things on the face of this earth, right? So everybody hates soggy brown bananas. Let's, let's throw that image up there, right? Like, if you, if you look forward to a Holiday Inn Express continental breakfast as much as I do, right, and you see that those are the bananas they have on display, you're, like, repulsed, right? Like, that is, like, one of the, just the greatest crimes you could, ever, you could ever commit. There is nothing good about brown bananas. They're moist, they're soggy, they're disgusting, all the words you hate soggy bananas okay but what if I tell you that Jesus loves soggy bananas that's not in scripture anywhere but he loves the principle behind them okay here's why Jesus loves soggy bananas food historians believe that almost a hundred years ago back in the uh, the 1930s during the great depression bananas were super expensive okay And you wanted to be very scarce with your food, and so it was just a matter of time, you know, once you finally have bananas, you want to make them last as long as they can. So it was only a matter of time before they turned into that, right? Well, again, food historians believe that it was a group of housewives who looked at these brown, soggy bananas and said, no, we're not throwing these away. There's got to be something we can do with these brown, soggy bananas. There's got to be. And ladies and gentlemen, it was through these courageous housewives' determination that we get the most delectable dessert of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the best of the breads. It is the Lord of loaves. It is the king of complex carbohydrates. It's none other than banana bread. And to celebrate the magnificent masterpiece of this terrific treat, we are actually At Baldwin today, you can go to the dessert island and we are serving banana bread today for us to celebrate this magnificent, this magnificent, delectable good. Here's why Jesus loves soggy bananas. Because he looks at our unblessed moments just like those housewives do with brown bananas. He says, there is nothing good about this right now but there's gotta be something good we can make this into. There's, I know that this is just totally worthy to be thrown away to other people's eyes. There's nothing good about, about this, but we have to do something good with this. We have to turn it into something even better than its current state. It is often our most unblessed moments that make us the most good because it's not about how good you've got it. It's about how good you're becoming good you're becoming. You know, but I think there's still this this tension with the Beatitudes that we we just have to be honest with, okay? Because I think it's very easy for us to read the Beatitudes and to get frustrated when we don't see the last half of each verse fulfilled, right? We say, man, I'm, I'm still poor in spirit, and I do not feel like I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm still mourning, and I do not feel comforted by any means. I'm meek, I'm humble and everything, but everybody still trumps over me. I truly just wonder when is Jesus going to follow through on his promise to make me feel better? Again, that's because blessedness, in our eyes, is typically how good you've got it, right? Even feelings and comfort is that thing that we want, this reveals another upside down value of our blessedness system and what Jesus is trying to do to turn his system right side up and it's this okay Christ blesses our unblessedness not for immediate relief but for an impending kingdom God blesses our unblessedness not for immediate relief, how good you've got it, but for an impending kingdom, how good you're becoming. Jesus promises us that in this world, we will have trouble, John 16, 33, right? We will have trouble, but that we need to take heart for he has overcome the world. Like, have you ever noticed, like, when you're going through a trial or something that is very unblessed and you want relief, eventually you do get that relief and you feel good for a little while and it's just a matter of time until something else happens? It's a continual struggle trying to get through all of this, right? But again, Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest so you can go back out there and face your trials again, so that way you can go back out there and face your unblessedness again. It's not about how good you've got it, but how good you're becoming for an impending kingdom of a God who refuses to throw away the soggy bananas. Last year, uh, around this time, I went home to uh, celebrate Casey and I's engagement. We were living in South Dakota. We came back out here to uh, celebrate with some friends and got to catch up with two of my best friends in the whole world who still live here in Indiana. Uh, just to protect their names, we're gonna call them Alan and Sarah. And they were sharing me uh, with me some like an inside scoop on their life that they were expecting again. So they were gonna have their second child, but they weren't gonna you know, make it public on social media to tell, them how, you know, to tell everybody how hashtag blessed they are. And, you know, Same thing. Uh, They were going to wait till the gender reveal and all that stuff, right? So a couple months pass and the time came for Sarah to make her pregnancy announcement public, right? Well, this is what she posted on her Instagram and Facebook accounts. And I have permission to share this. Here's what she said. This isn't a pregnancy announcement. I so desperately wish I could tell you it was, but unfortunately our narrative took a turn earlier this week. Our sweet babe stopped growing just days after our completely normal 12-week scan where we were told everything appeared to be perfect and right on target. They don't know what happened, because most of the time they don't. We're at peace with that. I believe nothing in all of creation ever comes as a surprise to God. He numbered the days of our baby long before we even knew they existed. While we may not ever find out why this happened to us, there's comfort in knowing that God knows what he is doing. Listen to this, I truly feel blessed truly feel blessed that God took our hearts and broke them. Making us changed people for his purpose. Already taking us deeper in our faith than we could have ever done on our own. Blessedness isn't how good you've got it. It's how good you're becoming. This brings us all back to the whole point of the Beatitudes. You know, we're gonna uncover over the course of this semester what it means to truly be good disciples of Jesus and and what the the upside-down kingdom's values means to turn our values upside down so that his values may be turned upside up, right side up, right? Flip that all on its head. We're gonna be diving into that over the next several weeks. You don't wanna miss it. You wanna be here every Monday. But before we can do that, Before we can do that, we have to get this drilled into our heads. That there is nothing we can do to truly become good on our own. That any goodness in you is because of Christ's goodness in you. You know, that there is nothing that you can truly do to earn his grace, to become everything that you need to be to thrive in our world that celebrates success and achievement and trumping other people to get what you want. It's to truly become humble, to truly become meek, to truly hunger righteousness as you ought to. And allow him to make you good in a way that only Jesus can do, okay? I wanna invite us um, really quick to go back to a thing you identified earlier that makes you feel unblessed with, okay? So everyone just close your eyes again. Allow yourself to go back there. What is it that makes me, that's making you feel unblessed today? Okay. And now, I want you to think about your answer to this question. How is Christ using my unblessedness to make me more whatever your answer is to that question is what Christ deems hashtag blessed receive Christ's blessings and enjoy some banana bread today you're sent out